Hey, I'm Allison Hare, and welcome to Little Left of Center, the podcast that interviews culture changers that are reshaping our world and breaking new ground. Welcome to Little Left of Center. My guest today is Dr. Roberta Shaler, PhD. She is known as the Relationship Help Doctor and is a relationship consultant, educator, speaker, and author. She's really, really accomplished. I'm so thankful I got her to come on my show. But the reason why I was interested in having her is because I thought it was important to understand how do you raise great kids when you live in an unstable, tumultuous, or broken home? And you always hear about therapists for kids or for couples who are going through troubles, but not in the context of raising kids when times are tough. And my suspicion is that there are so many people struggling with this behind the scenes. There is a sliding scale of discontent, right? And when I posted that I was interviewing Dr. Roberta, I had so many people reach out to me and say that they were secretly struggling with this and eager to hear the episode. And here's the deal. People suffer in silence. And my hope is that through this conversation, you'll realize that A, you're not alone. And B, Dr. Shaler gives some really practical and sage advice on all fronts here. So please make sure you share this episode. It's so important to have tools, understanding, and know that there is a way to get to a better place. Before we get into my chat with Dr. Shaler, I always like to take you behind the scenes a little bit on Little Left of Center, and I have some really exciting updates. The first one I wanted to talk about was New Year's. So obviously, we are in 2020, a brand new decade, a brand new year, and you'll see everything on the social media about new goals or forget the goals or resolutions or BS or I'm slaying my resolutions. I'm going for it. The gyms are full and there's a new sense of energy that comes with the new year. And for me, I have three goals. So my first goal is to do a TED Talk. So if you've heard me, you'll know this is not news. Um, so, so that is my goal for 2020. I'm applying, I'm working on my idea and my concept. I've got it all kind of worked out and I'm, I'm putting it out there and it's going to happen this year. It's got to happen this year, right? But I'm going to learn along the way. I'm going to put myself out there and do it. The second thing is, and this may come a little bit as a surprise. I want to learn a really highly technical choreographed routine, like a dance routine. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, but it's something I've thought about for so many years where I love dance. I suck at it, but I don't care. I'll go out. I've, I've taken dance lessons on and off for years, um, but mostly off. And I thought, why not do something like, you know, when you watch TV or you watch people do these amazing routines and you, you can't help but imagine, what if that was me? So I thought, what if it was me? Why don't I just do it? So that's the second thing. The third thing is 29029. I have to make this commitment. So 29029 is part of uh, Jesse Itzler's Build Your Life resume. You can look up Build Your Life resume and look it up or 29029 Everesting. So it's essentially scaling a mountain or hiking a mountain enough times to equal the height of Mount Everest. So I think it's like a three-day trek where you're going continuously, but it is obviously stretching the boundaries of what you think is possible, uh, taking your body to the edge, taking your mind to the edge, and doing it. So I want to do that this year too. So I want to kind of throw my hat over the wall and uh, and do that. The other thing about New Year's I wanted to talk about was, was last year. So 2019 was a really banner year for me. Uh, work was great. I started the podcast, which to me has flipped on all of the lights in my body. I feel like I am so much more aligned in my purpose. I feel so much more fulfilled and feel like I am continuously scratching that itch of things that I'm curious about through interviewing culture changers and people that, that are on the cutting edge of 
changing the way that we live through how they think. They think differently and they do things differently and they have different perspectives. So that's what I aim to bring to you every week. And uh, and I just love it. I feel so grateful for that. So on New Year's Eve, my husband and I, we have two little kids and we put the kids to bed and we just sat up and listened to music and re- you know, kind of reflected on our year. And we had the most amazing time. We didn't have any, we had music on, we didn't have any TV on, and we just talked for hours and we're so grateful. And I was almost afraid to go to sleep because I was afraid that it would, I would wake up to a new year. And it, you know, like it's such a weird feeling that you think, you know, it's going so well, the other shoe's going to drop. It's something's got to go wrong. And what an awful way to feel. But I kept trying to fight that feeling of this is not going to last and it probably won't. But, you know, it's been such a great year and I'm hopeful that 2020 will be just as incredible and continue to push forward. But I have to push back that feeling of, you know, well, where's the fucked up thing that's going to happen? So um, so that's what's going on with New Year's. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is tongue twisters. So I know this sounds completely out of left field, but I love tongue twisters. I always have, I always love Fox and Socks, the Dr. Seuss book. Um, I always read it to my kids' classroom. I'm always like, you know, the mystery reader, and I always read something complicated. So what I thought about that I would do, and I hope you stay tuned to the end of this episode, is that with every episode, I'm going to have you guys text me or email me or DM me. Um, a tongue twister that you want me to try. And at the end of the episode, I'll do it in one take and see if I can do it okay. Um, But yeah, so I am adding tongue twisters to the end of each episode to see how badly I screwed up or if I can get through it without one, but in in one take. So I've got a good one today to try. It's from uh, from a friend of mine named Justin Ericke. He sent me one. I can't wait to do it. And I'll try not to screw it up, but wait till the very end and I'll see if I can do it. The third thing is about podcasting. So a lot of you guys know that obviously I have this podcast, you're listening to it now, no shit, right? But I also have a podcast program called Press Play Podcast. So it is uh, a collaborative cohort of people that are, um, that I take each new podcaster all the way from concept all the way to launch and branding and beyond through this six-week course. So we just got underway. So we've got such a great group of people who are brave, who are smart. Some people know what their concepts are. Some people do not. But I've been, I've been actually having the best time immersing myself in podcast statistics and other podcast programs and and learning more about it, listening to interviews with famous podcasters of how they do their equipment setup. And, you know, I want to make sure I bring the very, very best. I want to make sure I over deliver on this program. It's the first time I'm doing it. But I've I've been super excited about that. And I, I'm I'm I can't wait for you guys to hear the people that I have in my program and once they get their podcast published of what they put out into the world. So if you're interested in your own, I don't know the next time I will I will open this program, but there is a wait list. So you can go to bit.ly forward slash press play podcast and put your name on the wait list for the next time. So uh, so that's number three. Number four, I have a new text number just for the podcast. I feel like my podcast has grown up. I know all throughout my teenage years in uh, living at home, I was never able to get a phone until I was out of the house. Um, I didn't even have a phone in my room. And back then they had actual phones that plugged into walls. Not to date myself, but I'm, I'm old AF. But anyway, um, my podcast got its very own phone number. So you can text me anything. You can ask me anything, questions about business, about sales, about podcasting, about me, comments or suggestions, tongue twisters, or anything you want to share, articles, any of that, I will answer questions on the podcast. So my cell phone number is 470-242-6311. So put it in your phone, 470 242 
6311. And the last thing is something I'm super excited about. I've been working on it for a long time. It's called the Little Left Letter. So I'm going to have a weekly email that will have three parts. So it'll be a quick, easy email. It'll have one thing to listen, one new thing to love, and one lesson learned. And as you can tell, I love alliteration. So Little Left Letter, listen, learn, love. It's quick and easy. You can sign up at bit.ly forward slash little left letter. But I can't wait to introduce you to Dr. Roberta Shaler. And here is our chat. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast with me and, and to refresh your memory. So my podcast name is Little Left of Center and I interview culture changers. You are somebody I've been actually looking for for a long time. And one of the things that I thought was probably never talked about are raising kids when you have an unstable home. And, you know, people talk a lot about therapy or something's wrong with the kids or something wrong with the parents and kind of isolating it to that. And I was wondering how to synthesize all of that. So Roberta Shaler, I'll probably, I'll give you a, a proper introduction, is a, a PhD. You're known as a relationship help doctor. And you've got two podcasts. You've got Save Your Sanity and Emotional Savvy and a blog. And you've been published. All of these, you're very well-respected and have a lot of you know really impressive credentials, and especially operating in this space. I'm curious, how? Tell me more about your background. Tell me, how did you get into this? Well, I was born into it, Allison. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, I born into it in the sense that I was a child who only one parent wanted. The my mother had me under duress, and my mother and father were both toxic people in uh. their very very different ways. I'm an only child, thank heaven, and too bad. Um, and it, it wasn't until I started to realize that everybody wasn't having the experience I was as a child. And when I went to tell people about how difficult it was at my house, um, they would say, oh, your mother's wonderful. How can you say that about your parents? And so I was isolated and marginalized for that. But I always knew there was something terribly wrong. So uh, when I was on my way to medical school, I found out I was having my first child. So I shifted to psychology and got a doctorate. And then I started applying all that I had learned and doing a lot of postgraduate work in dealing with people who have behaviors like those with personality disorders. And that's why I coined and trademarked the term hijackles for these people, because yes, too many so people were going to, going to um, the Google and pretending that Google was a mental health professional who could diagnose. And so they would say, this is going on. And Google would say, well, that sounds like a narcissist. And so then the person who Googled would say, oh, well, I'm with a narcissist. Doesn't help. Having a psychological diagnosis, maybe an understanding of narcissistic tendencies helps. But pretending that you can diagnose another human and without them going to a mental health professional is futile. So I wanted people to have a way to talk about the patterns, the traits, and the cycles, understanding what they are, understanding your part in it, understanding what to do, understanding the implications and impacts of having had hijackal parents, what that does to the stability of a home, and how children respond, brain-mind things, brain development things. So walking that whole path while raising three kids, getting a PhD, and working full-time. Good Lord. Um, all of those <laughs> things, you know, led me to be an expert in my field. And so I've had the experience, you know, been there, done that, have the ugly video and the ragged t-shirt, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. And I, I have so much to unpack there. First of all, what is the hijackle? It seems like something that you've trademarked. What, mm -hmm. Explain what that is. My definition of a hijackal is a person who hijacks a relationship for his or her own purposes and then relentlessly scavenges it for power, status, and control. So as you say that, I'm wondering, you know, you've, you've been around in this field for a long, long time. How did we get here? How did people, why are people so unhappy? 
Well, I don't know why people are unhappy because happiness is an inside job. Uh, however, I do know why they're troubled. And one of the things that has been occurring and unfolding over the last 30 years is as we've been in a fairly rich culture, with the exception of the recession in 2007, um, people have not been too unsettled. And so they have been comfortably uncomfortable with giving their children everything and pretending that this was good parenting. And on the other hand, we have a lot of people who have just been enabled and had their behaviors condoned for too long who are really behaving badly. And so we didn't have the skills to speak up or the strength to speak up or the confidence to speak up or to know the strategies and and things that we need to know in order to set boundaries and have healthy relationships. So it's just kind of drifted a little too long. And then, you know, people got very, very busy and they started not spending quality time with their children as much as would be preferable. And so we have slowly evolved into a society where startling statistics have shown up in the last 20 years about the increase in the number of people who behave like hijackals. Yeah. So here's what I've got a theory about this. And I have a theory that because we are in a world that's so fast, that we have access to so much information and that we are no longer taught how to cope. And as a result of that, Depression and anxiety is skyrocketing for children, especially for teenagers, um, and suicide rates are going up. And, you know, I think the general malaise around, you know, trying to figure it out, I think, I think we're taught, um, and, and you're the PhD, so this is just my theory. You can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I'd be curious to understand your perspective on it. But I think that as Americans, we're taught to, you know, move on to take a drink, to take a pill, to numb it out, however way you want, want, because I think productivity is king of just, you know, how do we just keep going, keep going, keep going mm-hmm. um, without really dealing with the issues? So well, tell me, is there right. any merit to that? I think you're right in this sense, Allison, that we have in the last 30, 35 years become a be more, do more, have more society. And I I explain it to my clients this way, and I have clients all over the world because I work through video conferencing, and I know that in all these cultures, they're experiencing the same thing. And how I explain it is this is how people are going through life. This is their head and this is their feet. So they're living their life like this. They're always leaning into life. They're, they know they can't stop because they'd fall on their face. So <laughs> what we have to do is allow people to get upright more frequently. I tell my clients all the time, stop, breathe, breathe deeply. I teach them a breathing technique. Do this at least once every hour so that you're coming up and saying, let me be present. And the other thing is that we have a horrible tendency to live life looking in the rearview mirror. And the rearview mirror is small for a reason, and the windshield is large for a reason. So we need to be present, see our surroundings, and be looking forward. And that's not to say that we shouldn't go back and unpack our paths, but we can't live there. So we live from the grudges and the pain of the past without ever examining it. And so we get into this be more, do more, have more world. Mm -hmm. And then everything gets tense. Everything gets more difficult. Stress is elevated. Anxiety is elevated. You put that into two parents who are supposedly trying to get ahead and do it right. And what kind of environment is that for children? Yeah, so from a children perspective, I imagine there's a sliding scale of unhappiness or uh, uh, instability in the home. So whether it is an abusive home, whether it is physical, emotional, financial abuse, um, if it is, even if it's just like the passive aggressive remarks, you know, things that are modeled in that way. How do you define that sliding scale of what is acceptable, what's not acceptable? Because I'm thinking that if you're raising children, 
and there is abuse in the home and you're, you, your confidence is low, you're not sure how to get out of it. How do you protect your children? Do you expose them? Do you talk about it with them or do you shield them? What, what is the best approach in that way? I imagine it's probably more common than, than most people would admit to have that, you know, uncertainty of, am I, am I okay? Am I in an okay situation? Well, you asked several questions there, so let me see if I can, I can <laughs> Sorry about that. them. <laughs> a lot of compound questions. Yeah, the, the, the thing is that children are formed so much earlier than people think. Mm. You know, the research shows that the seeds are sown for narcissism or antisocial personality or borderline or histrionic or any of those psychopathic. Although psychopaths are more born, but... All the others are made, and the seeds for that are sown in the first 24 months of life. And we tend to write off babies because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. They don't have language. They don't get it. And the actual fact is the children are living little sacks of energy and, and cells, and they're living in this. The research shows that at the moment of conception, the condition of both parents is what begins to determine how the child will turn out. And if you're not at peace, if you're not comfortable, say it's an unwanted pregnancy, an unexpected pregnancy, maybe one parent is not very keen on continuing, maybe the other is. Joyfully, many times most parents are absolutely delighted and that's great. But it's a, it's a, biological fact that children are affected from the moment of conception by the state of the parent's preconception. And so when you come to understand that, then you bring children into an environment where you don't often see that people are aware of what they're saying around a baby. They wait until the child has language and then they say, oh, don't, they're listening. They were always listening. Mm -hmm. They just weren't listening to the words. They were listening to the, the feeling, the vibration, the sensitivities, the tone of voice, the look on the face, the stance. You know when a little baby starts to stand up? And so many people say when they're, you know, they're first standing up on all by themselves and people will say, oh, look, they're standing just like their dad because they have those quirks. It's because they've been watching. That's what they've been modeling themselves after. So if that happens on the outside, think what's happening on the inside. Ooh. It's frightening to think about that too. I think about when I took my first son home and I was listening to Howard Stern in the car is on, on his very first ride home from the hospital. But, you know, I know I'm an incredible parent. Hashtag super mom. But I'm curious to see, there are a lot of times I think when, when couples are out of control and they don't know how, like how do you even begin to, to protect the baby, to protect yourself, to kind of unravel when you're you know dealing with motherhood or fatherhood or parenthood and work and all of those things. How do you coach people to, to kind of help? It's hard to take a breath when you're in the moment, uh, the heat of the moment. So tell me about, about your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself, why am I here? I mean, what am I up to? And who's driving the bus? You know, am I pushing myself because somebody's going to think I'm wonderful? You know, there's almost a contest going on for who can be busiest because somehow you're supposed to get a gold ribbon if you're the busiest person on the planet. <laughs> somehow that makes you remarkable. Well, actually, we've got to turn that paradigm around because that doesn't make you remarkable at all. It makes you exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you don't have the gifts to give to your children or to your partner that would allow you to live lives and model lives that are going to work. So we all have to slow down a little bit. There is no merit in this rat race that we're in. It's just something that you have to sit back and say, as you say, what would I say to them? Well, as a relationship consultant, <laughs> I would say to them, can you imagine your ideal life? And can you imagine what you'd like to your children to learn from watching you? And compare that with what you're doing right now. Is it okay? 
And usually that's a big wake up moment. Yeah, I could see that. What are your thoughts on nature versus nurture? That's a big issue. Most of it's nurture. Because here I'll give you an example. Psychopaths have are the only personality disorder that historically, although some have some familial content, but psychopaths are most likely to have a hereditary gene content malformation. There are cases of people whose brains have been scanned and found to have psychopathic tendencies who were raised in such wonderful homes that that never occurred. Mm -hmm. Okay, so nurture has a great deal to do with it. We can change our epigenetics by our environment, by our thought process, by the decisions that we make as we get older. And that's very important. We used to think that wasn't fluid. We used to think, well, you got the genes you got, and that's all there is. But the actual fact is, no, that's not true. And when we begin to take in the ideas of um, uh physics, quantum physics, and the mm. ideas of uh, psychoneurology, then we have to realize that, wow, at any moment, we can come upright and say, hey, I don't think this is working for me. I don't think it's working for us. I don't think it's working for the children. Let's get a little help because you need someone who's outside you to look at it and ask you good questions. Let's get a little help to look at this and see, is this the life we want to lead? Is this, in fact, living from our values? Is it the vision that we would have if we had the ideal life in mind? Are we actually living from our beliefs? Whether those are beliefs about how the world works, how money works, what careers mean, all of those things, including our spiritual beliefs. And if we do that, then we will have a much more conscious life. And that's the beginning of wisdom in my point of view. I because feel like I, that's so empowering and powerful too. It almost I think that there are probably situations where people feel really out of control. And so having the ability sure. to kind of reframe your mind and, and realize how powerful your mind and your environment is that sounds like a really um, hopeful place mm -hmm. to be where I bet there are a lot of places where it feels hopeless. Well, I think you want to, you want to get on one of those little, little uh, cutouts on the highway of life, you know, pull over <laughs> into one of those places that's meant to have a look at the view and then have the view of your life. Just take that little, that little sidestep. Life's not going to stop. The world is not going to stop turning. But you could make a significant difference in your life and the life of your family when you do that. But yeah. if you are just running as fast as you can, oftentimes people are afraid to sit down and find out who they are. You know, when I say to people, how much quiet time do you spend? What do you mean quiet time? No, you know, just sit quietly. You know, I've written 16 books. One of them I wrote with my partner. And Charles and I wrote a book called Soul Solitude, Taking Time for Our mm. Souls to Catch Up. All right. All we're asking is sit down, fall silent, and listen for 10 minutes or two minutes or three minutes. But just do that. And for some people, when we really unpack it, they're always saying they're too busy. But when we really unpack it, it comes to the fact, I don't know if I'll like who I find in that moment. I totally relate to that because I feel like I'm scared to be quiet. And I'm very thankful. I've got a really happy, joyful marriage. But I, I often wonder, I'm like, do I hate myself secretly? <laughs> you know, like I am afraid to sit and be quiet for 10 minutes, it's, uh, it's really, really hard. And uh, it, it makes me wonder, should I take a deeper look yes. at what? <laughs> I mean, I'm asking the, the perfect person too. So you had mentioned that you are, have been a principal, a school principal before. Yes. And I'm curious as to your observations. I'm sure you talk to so many different types of people in different types of situations in different you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. What are the commonalities that you've observed from, from that? I think it's a different time 
um, mm-hmm. with social media and with phones and with screens and uh, video games and all that. What have, what have you observed? Well, one of the major things that I've observed is people don't look at their children anymore. And children don't look at their parents. And when you don't have eye contact, particularly with the baby and continuing on up, you don't bond. And if you don't bond, you don't get a sense of reflection of yourself. And when you're here on the phone all the time, no, you're saying that whoever isn't with you is more important than who is. And as long as we keep doing that, we're going to have avoidance. We are going to become less and less able to communicate in meaningful ways that make connections between humans. And this is a sad reality. So, you know, I think uh, when I was last principal of a school, uh, I was acting principal of, a, of an at-risk teens uh, alternate program. And I asked the children, Alice, and they were 14 to 18. So I asked the kids, okay, how many of you eat a meal with your family each week? And the startling results are, this is 20 years ago. This is the beginning of Mm -hmm. this problem. Yeah, yeah. The startling reality was that it went from there is no food, There's food, get it if you want it. There's food on the stove, get it if you want it. There's food on the table, get it if you want it. Come and sit down and have dinner with us. In the last category, come and sit down and have dinner with us. One child ate one meal a week with their family. Now, I mean sitting down at a table without devices, making eye contact and conversation. That's 20 years ago. What do people do now at the dinner table? Do you have a basket that everybody puts their devices in and that's off limits for two hours where we actually make a meal together, sit and eat a meal together, clean up together, learn about life and each other together? Or do we run through the drive through and get to the next class, busy, 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 thinking that we're providing something that is not nearly as basic as providing sitting down and creating eye contact. Do you think that is one of the most important things to counterbalance the way the world is today, that people are not, they're not able to have attention spans? And I feel like I'm guilty of all of these things that you're talking about that I'm like, oh, it feels a little uncomfortable. Like I could be so much better at a lot of those things. But do you think that is part of the antidote? Oh, I absolutely do. Human contact is part of the antidote. And in that human contact, learning what's okay and what's not okay, learning that you can have boundaries, you can say no, that inviting children and people to talk about their feelings, to figure out what is okay with them and what's not okay, and to not have these porous boundaries or just reject everybody or be afraid to say no. All of these things make up your sense of safety in the world. You're going to get into a toxic relationship because someone is going to see you as an easy mark. They can have control over you. They can have power over you. They can make you wrong. If you're ever with a hijackal, everything will be your fault. Everything. If the weather doesn't turn out well, it's your fault. (laughs) That's a hard hard place to be. It is. You talked about um, toxic people and and hijackals, and I'm curious to know your thought about when you have toxic family members, let's say it's a parent or uh, a brother or sister, somebody that's really toxic. There are two schools of thought. One is cut them out of your lives. And the other one is try and make amends. They are the only brother that, you know, like their family. What are your thoughts on that? What's your position? I'll take door A. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a door A kind of girl too. But it's, and it's here's hard, why you know? though. Let me explain why. It's not because you're going to be harsh and cut them out of your life and be judgmental and, and all of that. It's because you can't condone or enable those behaviors and have your life work. Now, I come from a family like that. I had to set boundaries. You know, if my mother began to you violence or racism or whatever, I would simply get up and put my children in the car and we would leave. And she would then understand that if she wanted to see my children, that was a no-go, right? Did it it work with her? 
It did because automatically, you know, I'm an only child. So there's only grandchildren she had. She knew exactly what she was doing. And if, you know, the thing about these hijackals is we think, oh, you know, it's unconscious. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, they're very conniving. You can see that what I say is they paint a public picture of perfection Mm -hmm. and at home they create a private place of pain. And so you can see that they they decide how to behave out in public and at work and in the community and look like there aren't any flies on them as they are the most great fundraiser in the world and they're giving to charity and their pictures everywhere. And then at home, everybody is upset, anxious, oppressed, terrible, and it's, it's a dichotomy. And this, you can see then they're choosing their behaviors in public Therefore, they're choosing their behaviors at home because they do have the ability to choose. They know what they're doing. They just don't care. And that's what I was wondering, too. I think in a lot of cases, if you have people around you that are toxic, are all of them self-aware or oblivious to how they're coming across? Well, I guess on one sense, Allison, you could say they're super self-aware because that's all they care about. You know, it's sort of an all about me.com kind of life that they live. The Mm -hmm. thing is that they're not interested in you. They're not interested in your thoughts or your feelings or your needs or your wants. Basically, that's what gaslighting is. They are so arrogant about life that they will tell you what you think and what you need and what you want and what you feel. They will define your reality for you. And then you're left going, but I don't think that, or I don't remember ever saying that, or that's not what I want. And they say, well, I know you better than you know yourself. Mm. Again, taking That's a so superior position. Too, yeah. Yes. Yes. So, you know, if you have a parent who is toxic, going back to door A and B, you know, yes, you want to be respectful of both of you. And when the behaviors have boundaries and you say, if this boundary is crossed, this will happen. And that's non-negotiable. When that boundary is crossed, that is what happens. And if every time you see them, you cannot you cannot do anything right. You're afraid to go. You're anxious. You have chronic anxiety, perhaps because they call or drop by. You have to set boundaries and make it so that won't happen because you don't want that interaction and modeling for yourself or your children. And you don't want to have hypervigilance where you're always concerned. Who's going to say what? What's going to happen? Who's going to make me wrong? Where am I safe? You can't live like that and be healthy. You know, I I just did one of my shows today, the Emotional Savvy Show, and my guest is a medical doctor who is a medical researcher but also does natural medicine. And I was asking her because, as I say, I have clients all over the world, and so many of them suffer from autoimmune diseases. Mm. They have chronic fatigue. You know, they've got... um, fibromyalgia, they've got ankylizing spondylitis, they've got things like that. And they say, well, this doesn't run in my family. No, it doesn't. What's happening is that the chronic anxiety and stress is too much for your body. There's a study by a doctor in Canada, Dr. Gabor Mate, and he found that in women in chronic stress and anxiety situations, they were nine times more likely than the population to develop breast cancer. Wow. Hmm. So if, if we just think that one study has that kind of impact, what is it doing every day to live in hypervigilance and anxiety and stress for a person that you could say no to? No, you are not going to walk in my life, you know? You know I, I, oh, that, I mean, that's insane. And I, I do believe that the illness and what do they call it? The dis-ease you know, I think is is the term they used is so wrapped up in the stress. So I believe in the quantum physics. I have no science to back it up in terms of my own studies, but I, I do feel that way. So it's nice to know that it is verified by actual science. And I'm wondering how much this can seem out of left field, but what are your thoughts on nutrition? Because I feel like we yeah. stress eat you know, um, and I wonder how much of that illness comes from either not having access to healthy food or just the way that we live as Americans, or at least that fast food kind of culture. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of rotting our bodies from the inside out. Um, oh, well, definitely. I mean, the fast food culture definitely won't make you ill. Um, I have a lot to say about nutrition because I used to own a health and, and yoga retreat. And so I have been a student of that. I started yoga when I was 19 years old, long before wow. anybody knew what yoga was about. And I became a Shivananda yoga teacher as well as I studied Ayurveda. Oh, that's so, so cool. I am very, very concerned about nutrition in general because you can't open any kind of publication, uh, digital or otherwise, without reading that, oh, this is a carcinogen. Oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Did you know that when you put all that ink in your body to tattoo, that it is going into your bloodstream? Do you understand the implications of junk food and additives and all that kind of thing? So generally, without any toxic people in your life, if you're eating toxic things, you're already at a disadvantage. And then what about sugar itself? Well, sugar is a problem. And yet what do we consume more? We grab things that are fat and sugar. That's what we like, you know, a donut, something that's that's quick energy. And we don't realize that when we have sugar to get some energy, what happens is we're here at a level here when we decide to have that cup of coffee with two, two spoons of sugar in it. It takes us up here. And so, oh, great, that feels good. And then we don't notice that it takes us all the way, the equivalent below where we started, then back up here, and then we think, oh, I need another cup, right? These are the things we need to know. You know, do you eat mindfully? Do you actually sit down and enjoy a lovely meal, a balanced meal, a pretty meal? Do you actually enjoy that? Or do you grab something as quickly as possible and you're doing 13 other things at the same time and thinking 26 more? You know, how are you treating your body? It's got to last you a long time. You know, I've been through a lot of very unpleasant things in my life. And I had my Ayurvedic consultant the other day say to me, you know, your pulses are so strong that you can make it through anything. And I thought, yeah, but since I was 19, I have been eating well and exercising and taking extremely good care of myself and meditating and sitting in soul solitude and doing all those things, which allows me to have the calmness to do the reading, to do the studying, all the things that I do. And that's what I was so curious about too, is that how you know you you deal with people that are going through unbelievable trauma you must hear the most jaw dropping stories how do you protect yourself how do you you know do you, there's got to be some level where you take it on you know yeah. i mean this is your work there isn't no, you must be but... a goddess <laughs> tell me <laughs> well you know for some people that's something you have to learn right? In your training, you know, in psychology, you will learn how to separate yourself from the client. Um, I have never had that issue. The client is in front of me. I'm fully present with them. Things come down through me that work and I say it to them and then I wish them well and they're gone. You know, it's just the next thing that's coming along. It doesn't happen that way for me. Now, I may be sitting Mm. quietly and someone will come into my mind and then I'll go and write and say, are you okay? But I don't take on all of that. And that's a general rule. But there have been one or two times when something just went to the very core of my being at the same time it did to them. It was so... um, difficult, so unfair, so nasty, so jaw-droppingly incredulous that it kind of got under my radar too. So I don't always, I, I seldom have it, but occasionally it, it will just be like, who knew that that could possibly happen? And so then we have to walk through that together because now I am completely in a place of empathy and I'm feeling it too. Yeah. So I used to, when I went into college, when I was a little girl and I first learned what psychology meant, I wanted to be a psychologist. So I was a psych major for two years. 
And I ended up switching to go into broadcasting. I wanted to go into radio and, and kind of found my, my passion. But very often I think about the psychology because I'm so fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid because I am so empathetic. And so when t- somebody tells me about it, like I feel it, you know, and I cry and I don't know how to how to separate myself from that. Yes, well, it's a very good thing to understand because you have to have a very strong self in order not to go into someone else's self like that. You know, I'm supposed to be holding the line so that they can wobble. That's my job. So if I were to wobble along with them, we would not get anywhere. (laughs) Well, so many so, people are, uh, so many psychologists are not necessarily that calm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some people are kind of struggling with their own, their many own. Many times they are. And you know, with, in my specialty, many people will go to someone that they're really hoping will help them, but that person does not understand what happens in a hijackal relationship. They don't have familiarity. I had a licensed social worker tell me the other day, well, I know all about personality disorders. We had an entire day's lecture on it. And I was like, what? You you read a book and had a lecture for a day and now you think you know. But those people do not understand what's going on. They, They haven't had the experience. They haven't walked through it. They may not see it. And every now and again, I hear about some wonderful person who got it and was really, really helpful. But if you haven't had it, you know, you, you don't likely see it. And so many of my clients will come and they'll say, I've been to therapists before and I went with my partner and every time we went, I ended up being rewounded. Well, mm. with hijackals, the only reason that they will go to a therapist or a counselor or a mental health professional is to, to take on the challenge of manipulating, exploiting, and seducing the mental health professional to come to their point of view and make their partner wrong again. And as soon as you work with them for a while and you finally come and you say to that hijackal person, well, what do you think your part in this is? They go off like a Roman candle in a huff and walk out of the room. Because they are not going to be able to take any moment of responsibility or accountability for it. And that's because hijackals have shame very, very close to the surface. And so they are not going to let anything touch that. So that's where they get the big puffed up sense of self and they're right and everybody's wrong and they're untouchable and they are always the smartest person in the room with the most power because their shame is so close to the surface. That's interesting. Yeah. So don't jump in and get all compassionate and wonderful about these people. That's a psychological concept, a mental concept. You can have that information. Mm. Yes, they have shame close to the skin. Yes, they've had trauma in their early life. Yes, all those things are true. And that doesn't make it your job to enable or condone their bad behavior. And I'm curious about your own journey. I mean, you you said you grew up in a a fairly toxic household and and this was kind of what you grew up in and you went into yes. this field. What was your journey like unraveling from that? Do you feel like it is there are still wounds that you're working on or do you feel like there there or was it really the meditation at 19 and yoga that started no. to help? It started to help for the day-to-dayness, but it didn't unravel any of the issues. Because when you're in that state, you know, the the building a life state, and you get out of that home, and then what are you supposed to do? Uh, Get an education and find a career and find a partner and get married and have babies. And, you, you know, you're in that life construction zone. And so it's not until usually... You know, children are five or six years old and you have a little more leisure and you're going, you know, this is not good. This is really not good. Why is this not good? And if that moment allows someone to start saying, yeah, well, I've covered it up for a while and I've kept on going, or maybe I've been a mess. Maybe I've just been a basket case and haven't been able to, to look at anything. 
I would like my life to be one that I design. I would like my life to be one that I value. And then you get some help to do that. So for my life, you know, I powered on through. If you were raised by hijackals, you're either one end of the spectrum or other you're going to lean to. You're either going to become a hijackal or you're going to become what I call hijackal bait. So you're just going to be a sitting duck for a hijackal to come along and sweep you up. And that's going to be your first relationship, if not your first marriage. And you'll be deeply into it before you realize that you have accommodated, over-accommodated, turned yourself into a pretzel and maybe even become a doormat. And you are so downtrodden, worn down, torn down, put down. And you finally say, this can't be all there is to life. Well, for me, I went through the first situation of marrying and having children with a hijackal, divorcing. And then I started to say, what was all that about? That was awfully familiar in a negative way. And then I found that I did attract hijackals. I truly did. And then I found, what is the commonality here? Why are these people so comfortably uncomfortable and familiar that I will justify, rationalize, make excuses for their behaviors? Now, we as women, Allison, we are born to nurture. That is our 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 makeup right because we house children and we are we have this this to do so we are more susceptible to saying if i just love him enough if i'm understanding enough if i'm compassionate enough if he comes to know that i accept him then he will calm down well it's not true because that person was damaged by someone else not you Ooh, hurt people hurt people yeah, I don't believe that. You but don't. Hey. No, I don't. Because there are lots of hurt people who don't hurt people. Yeah. And I don't like generalizations like that. Fair enough. But, you know, it, it wasn't created by you and you're getting the effect of it. And when you realize that you don't choose that anymore, you want something different. It's the beginning of your healing journey. And it'll be a very slow journey if you don't get some help. And I, I don't say that because it's what I do in life. It's because this stuff is kind of, it has tentacles around your soul. You know, if you were raised by one, there's always a little something deposited everywhere and sticking to it. So you asked, you know, what about my life? Well, every now and again, I'll find like, what was that? And I have to look in and, oh, there it is, you know, the deep fear of rejection popping up again you know um now i don't do this kind of thing anymore because i used to speak all over the world but you know i was thinking the other day about these people who put themselves forward for tedx talks and i thought you know i would have to sit and really understand that at a deep deep level because of my babyhood i have a deep fear of rejection and when i put myself forward to do something there's always that little bit underneath there that is going to pop up if I have any anxiety. So these are the gifts that keep on giving, but you need to have the skills and the awareness in order to quell them, to understand them, to bring them into the light of day. And no, we're not going to behave from that today. That is powerful. What do you do for fun? (laughs) <laughs> this is hard work. <laughs> what do you do for fun? Well, A, I don't find it hard work. Um, B, I do my podcast for fun and my YouTube channel for fun. Uh, and I know that sounds like work. But the thing is, I'm in the legacy part of my life. I've written 16 books. I've got two more books to write. Wow. My YouTube channel just reached over 300,000 views. The podcast just reached over 182,000 downloads. Oh, that's amazing. getting the word out there. And I don't say those numbers to say woohoo. It's how many people can you touch with this information who could be marginalized and isolated and awake in the middle of the night saying, I don't know what to do. And so it's fun for me to think, how can I reach more people with this information? I can only see a limited number of people as my personal clients, but how can I get this to the world while we have this seemingly narcissistic epidemic that is taking it over? Whether people are diagnosed or not, it doesn't matter. If they have narcissistic tendencies, preferences, or behaviors, 
you have to deal with them at the level that they are. And they're increasing. All the research shows that they're increasing. So it's very important to learn how to take care of yourself in this world and to recognize that you are the author of what you move forward with and you are the one who gets to say, I'm going to leave this part behind. So powerful. I love that. It, it, it's so empowering. How do people contribute to your mission? Well, mainly by sharing the podcast and the YouTube videos Generally, that's the way it goes. You know, they'll comment on the podcast or the videos and they'll say, well, I, sh I gave this to my friend. I sent the URL to my friend because she's really in a tough spot. And that's how, that's how it happens. You know, I, I have a Patreon account for people who listen to my podcast and say, oh, that's good. And they maybe give a dollar or five dollars a month to keep the work going, which is lovely. But the most important thing is to help me get the word out. And I think, I mean, you could probably tell me, but there aren't a lot of people focused on this, or at least it's not readily available. So I was happy to see that you do focus on how do you heal these these relationships that are tough, you know, mm. um, and how do you kind of put a framework around getting out of it and understanding it? Yeah, I think it's important. There's a distinction that I want to put out here. There's a place for coaches who have had an experience and say, I will help you to to the limit of my training I will help you to walk through this. And then there are people who are trained in the therapeutic process and they can help in a more deep way, more systematic way. And you have to be careful about that. Make sure that, that if you've had these experiences that you are choosing wisely what you actually need, not, not you know, just following someone's marketing. <laughs> It's hard to find that. Like I've been to it therapists is. at certain parts of my life and I'm sure they were great therapists, but they were not right for me. It was actually making it worse. That's right. You know? That happens. Yeah. That's why for everybody who's a new client of mine, I offer a one-time one-hour session for only $97. Anybody who wants that's it pretty can, good go, price. can yeah. go to beaclient.com. That's that's the way in. Go to beaclient.com and you can have that one hour to find the fit to see if I'm someone you want to work with. But you're getting a full session so that you will walk away with some strategies or insights that will help you know what your next best steps are. And that's the way that you end up finding out if I'm the person you want to work with or if I know that I can help you. Is that really your URL, beaclient.com? That's awesome. <laughs> Have you had I mean, that for a long time? This is my website. But but because I do so much this audio, you know, from being in radio, yeah. you have to think about how can I say it, you know? So beaclient.com is a very memorable way to just say, oh, I can go there and get yeah. an initial consultation. That's awesome. So how do people find you other than beaclient and transformingrelationship.com? That's the way. That's my main website. There's a whole section on there at hijackles.com that leads you to that website, but it's all about hijackles. Or you go to my YouTube channel for FOR Relationship Help, H-E-L-P. You can get all the video, 423 videos as of today. Wow. Um, and when you go to transformingrelationship.com, you can click on uh, podcasts, and it'll lead you to both my podcasts. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Roberta Shaler, Dr. Roberta. Uh, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you, and I love what you're doing. I think it's so powerful and important, and I love that you keep getting the word out however way you can, so I'm happy to be part of that. I'll link all of Dr. Shaler's information in the show notes, um, but thank you so much. Have a great evening. Oh, you're so welcome. It was a pleasure to be your guest, and thank you for bringing all these wonderful things to folks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Dr. Roberta Shaler, thank you so much for shedding light on such a shadowy place. I know my audience learned a lot about hijackles and ways to protect their children and protect themselves as they transition through a difficult time. I've loved having you on, and I can't wait to hear the feedback on this one. So please make sure you reach out to me. Uh, you can text me at 470 
242-6311 or follow me on the socials. I'd love to hear your feedback on this one. Uh, In the meantime, I promised a tongue twister that I would try in one take. And this one is from Justin Ericke. Okay, you ready? All I want is a proper cup of coffee made in a proper copper coffee pot. I may be off my dot, but I want a cup of coffee from a proper coffee pot. Tin coffee pots and iron coffee pots, they're no use to me. If I can't have a proper cup of coffee in a proper copper coffee pot, I'll have a cup of tea. Oh my God, I got through that one. (laughs) Thank you so much, Justin, for sending me that. But uh, okay, so please text me your tongue twisters to 470-242-6311. And maybe yours will make it onto a future episode. I've linked all communication with me in the show notes. And as you know, culture changing is a movement and it works only when you share these ideas and these episodes. Please keep sharing, keep rating and reviewing, and above all, just keep creating. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.